0: It's good to see you all this morning on Trinity Sunday and uh, we've been looking for the last week at wisdom, living a life of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. One of my grandmothers had a Pennsylvania Dutch background and I can remember growing up hearing things that she used to say, things that maybe some of you have heard, like We grow too soon old and too late smart. (laughs) Or, the hurrieder I go, the behinder I get. Uh, Our beloved city and Benjamin Franklin are well known to many. And uh, maybe you know that he used to write a periodical called uh, Uh, Poor Richard's Almanac. This is back in the mid-1700s. And many of those editions uh, had Ben Franklin's Proverbs. And you may not know it, but when you hear these, you're gonna say, oh, he wrote that? Like a penny saved is a penny See, you can f- finish it. Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and? Try this one. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of? See? The one I like, little strokes, fell great oaks, yeah. Proverbs. Every culture, every one that scholars know about, ancient ones up to our day, have what we would call proverbs, or pithy sayings about life that are enshrined in memorable phrases. But what's unique about the Bible is that God gave to the people of Israel and to us one book in the Old Testament that was devoted to wisdom from on high. That's not to say that Ben Franklin's or any other Proverbs are wrong. They have a ring of truth to them. But here in the book of Proverbs is what you really need to know as God's people to live wisely. Now, there are two other books in the Old Testament that also are called wisdom literature. Job, and what's the other one? Ecclesiastes. They answer the question, what is life all about, and how do I live for God when things don't seem to make sense? But Proverbs is so unique because it's, uh, It's for any day and every day. In fact, you know how many chapters Proverbs has, right? 31. So through the years, in a Bible reading plan that I'm not faithful at, sometimes I'll say, well, what is today? Oh, today is the 12th. I'll read Proverbs 12. It works. Think about adding that to your habits as well. God's wisdom is much more valuable than Ben Franklin or Pennsylvania Dutch Proverbs or anyone else's because this is an inspired book by the Holy Spirit to reveal God's wisdom for us. So we've been throwing around the word wisdom a lot. Let's let's try to get a working definition of what wisdom is because biblical wisdom is not just good advice that you put out on a tweet or something like that. Here's what one scholar has said, and I've kind of reworded it a little bit, but see if this makes sense. Biblical wisdom is skill at living in harmony with God's created order. Let me unpack that a bit. The word skill. Wisdom is not just knowledge or an idea about something, It's taking what you know and doing something with it. And we call that a skill. Like our musicians had a skill this morning at playing their particular instrument. Most of you had a skill at singing. Most. (laughs) Right? So that's what the word means in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, because when you go to other places, it talks about, This person had a skill at making furniture in the tabernacle. It wasn't what we would think of as spiritual wisdom, but it was a skill at metalworking. And it's skill at living in the way God originally created this world to work. The way God created the order, we're kind of tapping into that original design. Does that make sense? It's not just knowing facts, but it's the way to use facts to help us through the maze of life. And so wisdom assumes that God created the world to work harmoniously. In fact, the verses right after The ones that were read this morning say this. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. There's something about Genesis that shows God's perfect order. Six days, not haphazard. Orderly. Beautiful harmonious. And that's what wisdom is. It's trying to tap into the way God originally created things. We know that sin has disrupted that harmony, but wisdom is the intent to get back to it, to restore it. Can you see even a gospel pattern there of ideal? ruin, restoration, see that? And so wisdom, according to Bruce Waltke, who uh, used to teach here at Westminster and is still faithfully serving the Lord in his 90s, has probably a premier commentary on the book of Proverbs. And so I quote him, Through wisdom, one is able to read circumstances and interpret situations so as to act correctly, to speak properly, and to respond appropriately to each situation. That's what wisdom is. So in summary, wisdom is the way the world should work, the way God intends it to work. Now, the book of Proverbs, as you may know, includes many, many topics from A to W. I couldn't find any Z's. <laughs> and some of these we're going to talk about in the coming weeks up to our uh, kickoff Sunday in September. I'll just name a few uh, alcohol, anger, discontentment, envy, food, friends, greed, honesty justice, laziness, lust, lying, parenting, the poor, planning, self-control, wealth, speech, and work. So I'm looking forward to diving in in the next few Sundays, not today and not next week, but as we move through one topic per week as the three of us, and two other speakers. We haven't told them who's coming, have we? And we won't today. But we have a... Oh boy, I just... All right, I almost let the cat out of the bag. But we have an old friend of Chelton, but he's not really old. But anyway, he'll be back sometime this summer. Sorry, Pastor Jim. I was not very wise in the way I just handled that. Now, Deep breath, Solomon illustrates wisdom, unlike what I did. Do you remember the story from 1 Kings chapter three? Let me remind you of what happened. When, When Solomon became king, God asked him to request from God whatever he wanted. Remember that, like a blank check? And Solomon said this, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who's able to govern this great people of yours? And so God replied, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and a discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Now, soon after that, Solomon faced a problem that was brought by two women who were living in the same house. Do you remember this one? Each had newborn sons and one of them died. And the dead baby's mother switched him with the living baby during the night. And when morning came, the other mother recognized the hoax. So they both came to King Solomon for a decision. Here's what 1 Kings 3 says, the king said, this one says, my son is alive, and your son is dead, while that one says, no, your son is dead, and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king, and he gave an order, cut the living child in two, and give half to one, and half to the other. And the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then, the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. And when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Isn't that beautiful? There's something that rings with truth, and yet, if you didn't know the ending of the story, you probably wouldn't be able to find out who's telling the truth here. You ever feel like you're in a situation like Solomon? Where you've got an issue come at you and Should I do this? Should I decide that? And maybe it's just not one or the other, maybe it's like four different options here, and you're pulling your hair out saying, come on, ah. Our times are in turmoil, let alone what we hear from what happens around the world or around the neighborhood, but your own personal issues you're dealing with, right? I just jotted down some of them that I know about from myself and and others that I know at church here. Um, Excuse me. Some of you are going through age-based decisions. Could I call it that? Like, what do I do after I graduate from high school or from college? What job should I take? Or if I'm going to college, what should I major in? Or, on the other end, when do I retire? And if I do retire, what do I do when I retire? Or, uh, when is the time to downsize and move? And maybe there's some relationship decisions that you're working through, like, should I be a friend to this person or not? Or, should I stay single, or am I open to marriage? Here's another one. How can I repair a damaged friendship? Oh, should I do this, that, or the other, or should I do nothing and walk away? How about financial decisions? Like, if you're looking at a job or you're in a job, how much salary do I need to live on? How should I invest? How much should I give away? How much is really enough? Other issues like that? Finally, some of you are going through decisions in your family, like how many children should we have? And what if we cannot have children? What then? And if we have children, how do we discipline them? What kind of education do we give them? What kind of sports should they get involved in or not? Or maybe the most basic one is, how do I get along better with my spouse? Well, have I, have I made you itch a little bit here? I mean, I've only mentioned four categories, but there's thousands of things that we're met with where we're asked, or we ask ourselves, what's the way forward? And there's nothing in Scripture that says, this, thus says the Lord, do this. I'm not talking about moral decisions that are clear from Scripture. I'm talking about those things that require skill at living in God's created order, wisdom. So, the passage before us today that was read is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through uh, 18. It's a short paragraph, it's embedded in the first nine chapters. And the way we're preaching through the book of Proverbs is we're spending a few weeks looking at the first nine chapters that set the stage for the topics that we will address in the coming weeks. You have to understand what wisdom is, and today, how valuable it is before you start looking at the individual Proverbs. So what a, what a paragraph is, is this. If you have your copy of Scripture, you'll notice that um, there's a frame word, if I could call it that. In verse 13, it starts, blessed, and in verse 18, it ends, blessed. That means everything in this poem talks about being blessed. And that's one of these words that, oh, we use it so much, we don't think about what it means. Uh, Bruce Waltke, who I quoted earlier, says that it could be translated, how rewarding is. How rewarding. There's rewards here. And that's the way it starts, and that's the way it ends. And uh, if you just take a look at verses 13, 14, and 15, Listen to it again. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for, here's the reason, she... She? Okay, hold it, stop. Why not it? (laughs) She? Is this a misprint in my Bible? No, because in chapter 1, Solomon had used lady wisdom as a personification Of this beautiful thing called wisdom. It's an attribute of God, but it's embodied in a beautiful woman. So that's why he says again, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can be compared with her. And I'm going to say Yeah, I know that's in the Bible, but do I really believe that? Nothing? Uh, Recently, uh, the TV show Jeopardy! had a Philadelphia native. I don't know if any of you watch this, but uh, I'm not a regular watcher, but I saw in the news where this young man who uh, drove a car around taking people other places, won a little over $300,000 in about a two-week time period, and now he says he's set for life. You know, and it was was, uh, amazing to watch him answer these, what to me are random factoids, right? Here's a guy who, he knows everything, almost. And somebody beat him on the final night. And there, I might say, yeah, knowledge is worth money. I could see that, but this passage is saying wisdom is worth more than gold and silver and rubies and money. And I was trying to think, okay, I want to believe that. But if you would give me a check for $300,000, I would say, yeah, or give me a check for any amount and I'm thinking, yeah, money, money seems to be Right? The, the, the thing that makes people happy, that people are chasing after. And, and, and right at the beginning, we're struck with the value of wisdom. So how can that be? Because money provides for life's necessities and luxuries and seems to be the answer to everything. What could be better than that? And God whispers, wisdom is. Why is wisdom better? And I, I think, the more I thought about this, that uh, it reminds me of something I heard one of my pastors years ago say, if money can fix it, it's not that big of a problem. Now that could be a proverb. <laughs> well, what does that mean? That means, well, maybe I'll just ask a question. How much money does it take to repair a broken marriage? It's one thing to repair a broken microwave, but can you really fix people's hearts with money? How much money can break an addiction? Can money really cure cancer? Heal grief? Restore a a wounded relationship? and of course hopefully we're saying no no it can't wealth has dividends that it pays but wisdom has dividends that are worth more than monies wealth buys a good house but wisdom buys a good home Wealth enables greed, but wisdom buys contentment. Wealth enforces security in things, but wisdom securely rests in God. You should ponder that. Wisdom is worth more than stuff. It really is. And then uh, there's two more verses here. Uh, 16 and 17, that say wisdom also gives long life and riches and pleasant ways and peace. Again, verse 16, long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Now, of course, there are exceptions to this rule. That's why we have the book of Job or the book of Ecclesiastes. A proverb means this is what usually happens, but doesn't always happen. But we can say with confidence that following God and His created order in life will usually bring long life because it keeps you away from dangers. It gives you contentment of soul, which even scientists now realize. A peaceful heart gives a healthy body. Riches, prosperity. Now, i got to remind you, in the ancient world, they didn't have the middle class. You were either like a... had enough for each day or more, then you were rich. But if you had to beg, and you couldn't get enough for each day, you were poor. So find yourself somewhere in there. Do you have enough to live on? And do you have pleasantness and peacefulness as part of your demeanor? Those words almost sound foreign in our vocabulary today, right? Pleasant, shalom, peace, the way things should be. That's what God offers through wisdom. But best of all is verse 18, which says, She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, those who hold her fast, will be blessed. You've heard of this before, right? tree of life. That goes all the way back to Eden. And that wasn't the only tree in the garden, because chapter 2, verse 9 of Genesis says, in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here was the testing ground for our first parents. Tree of life representing eternal life, beautiful life, the way life should be lived, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, Adam and Eve, you can call your own shots. You can call it good if you want to and evil if you want to. You can write your own destiny. Or... You can trust me, and I'll give you the tree of life. And Eve desired wisdom, but from the wrong tree. Listen to Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And at the end of the chapter, God banished Adam and Eve from the garden and set guards around the tree of life. You don't hear about it. Exodus, Leviticus. Oh, but there's an image there Yes, because when God builds His temple, His tabernacle on earth, He puts inside the room right before His holy room a lampstand, a menorah. What did it look like? A tree. A seven-branched almond tree that gave light, as if to say, You get close to God, you're getting close to the tree of life. But no human was allowed to go in that room. Only the priests, the rest of the people, had to stay at a distance. You go through the rest of the Old Testament, and now you come to the next time you hear about the tree of life. Proverbs. It's mentioned in this book only a handful of times. And here it's mentioned as something that is available. Wisdom is a tree of life. Really? We can get back to the tree of life? Yes. How? By fearing the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. By having a relationship of humility and condescension as we come to the God who comes to us but doesn't answer to us. And then we don't hear about it anymore until we get to the New Testament. And the next time we see the tree of life, it's in the shape of a cross. As Jesus, the last Adam, refuses to eat or to do anything apart from his Father's will, He himself bears our sins on the tree of death that now becomes the tree of life, eternal. And then you wait until the final book of the Bible that looks way ahead to the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. In Revelation 22, it says this, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. Can you see the tree of life? It was there and we lost it. And God gave it back to us through Proverbs and wisdom. And one day it's coming in its fullness when we see God face to face forever. Wow. That's why verse 18 ends. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. That's the first word. You will be rewarded. How rewarding it is to have God's wisdom because she's like a tree of life. Quite a passage, isn't it? And please don't think that somehow wisdom is a thing to be possessed. Wisdom here is put in a person form as if to say, it's not facts, it's not stuff you read as if, all right, I read it, I got it, I'm wise. No, there's a relational dynamic here. It's more than intellectual knowledge. It it says in verse 18, those who hold her fast, give her a big hug and won't let go. Not memorize it and compute it in your brain. No, Proverbs shows us a lady named Wisdom that we only know by a relationship with God. Pastor Jim last week reminded us in chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that means that the entryway to wisdom is a proper relationship with God. But in the New Testament, we don't have the figure of a woman. We have the image of a man. Because the New Testament shows us Jesus who is wisdom personified. Listen to uh, 1 Corinthians 124, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And Colossians 1 uh, sorry, 2, three says Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now for us on this side of the cross Wisdom, who was with God in creation and explained in Proverbs, was born in Bethlehem, lived, taught, loved, died, and rose, reigns in heaven, and intercedes for us by giving wisdom when we seek her and him. So, Jesus, like wisdom, calls out to you today. Are you following him? With every ounce of your being? Because part of eternal life now, the tree of life now, is tapping in to who God is. He is a wise God, and he shares his wisdom with his people so that we can navigate our lives in the mess that we're around. My friends, we need to be, when we leave here and live out there, we need to be people who are marked by something about us, a quiet confidence that says, God made everything, and I know things are messed up, and so am I, I can't figure it out, but I'm asking God to bring to me the wisdom, the skill at navigating my life that will help me and help you in the process. That is a beautiful life, a God-honoring life, a gospel-centered life that you and I are called to. Let's pray. God, we... Are not adequate we are so foolish just like I was in talking about wisdom so we need your grace for every moment but you ask us to cling to you Lord Jesus as you pour out your wisdom to us may we be marked by living skillfully by your grace For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.